0: Hey, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Red Pill Your Healthcast. My name is Dr. Charlie Fagenholtz, and I'm here with Lauren Johnson, your favorite nurse. And we're going to be talking about a topic that I feel like I've been getting, and Lauren too, has been getting a ton of questions on Instagram about it. And so we thought we'd break it down. And that is pans and pandas and strep. So Lauren, what is pans and pandas? And let's kind of dive in, then we'll just take it from there.
1: Okay, so... Pandas is actually, well, pans, pandas is actually an autoimmune disorder of the brain. Um, just like you would have an autoimmune disorder of the thyroid. Um, you have an autoimmune, this is an autoimmune disorder, um, that involves the brain, but it's a whole body thing. It's not just that there is an issue with the brain. It's an issue with the immune system. And so what pandas means is pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with streptococcus pans is it came later because initially they found it after kids with strep would change would have this acute regression and but then they eventually found these kids that were having it that were that had not had strep and um and we'll talk about all the different triggers for it but pans is basically pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome um but they are very similar um they have a few differences but basically, strep can trigger pandas and strep, even if it's treated with antibiotics, which is what they really want, um, is it could still turn into pandas if there is immune dysregulation. Um, and that is really the key here is understanding why like what environment sets the stage. And so there's an immune dysregulation component. There is a leaky brain component. Everyone's heard of leaky gut, um, but there is leaky brain and that um, we can all, we can talk about why there (laughs) might be leaky brain. And I feel like vaccines come up in every single episode and I don't mean to do it, but here we are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And um, piggybacking on vaccines, what I'll say is that uh, I feel like this new strain of strep that's going around. Uh, that doesn't have to be associated with pandas, but a lot of people are getting strep. A lot of people are getting pink eye as well. I have uh, a feeling that a lot of that has to do with vaccine shedding and changing our immune system in the last couple of years, yeah. because bacteria, like viruses, like fungus, they're in our body. And so something has to pleomorph them. Something has to turn them into a toxic form. Like we have strep in our teeth. We have strep in our skin. We have strep in our gut. We have strep all over. So what turns this strep from good to bad? And it's been a ton in the last two years. And so whenever that happens, I always think, what are they spraying on us in the sky? Or what was was introduced into our population uh, that is somewhat new, like 5G or a vaccine? And so everyone who's listening to us probably knows about vaccine shedding. And that's where my head goes to when I see all these these strep cases that are coming out. So they don't have to turn into pandas
1: that's really hard when you say vaccine shedding because it's an uncontrollable thing even yeah. in my circles where my kids go to school is a very small like don't have any big concerns about a lot of shedding there um but it could still happen probably very minimal compared to most kids in in any type of school environment but we still go other places and we mm-hmm. still have family that yeah <laughs> so it is something that you have to like, you, you can't control the controllables. Like you can't stress yep. about it. So yep. if that is it, it, we have to control the other parts that will contribute to immune dysregulation as well. Um, okay. So what is happening in the brain when pandas happens, it's basically where Anna, okay. So pandas, you, your body creates antibodies to strep to, or, or to whatever your body creates these antibodies against strep because it's fighting it. It's doing what it should. Um, but basically these, um, those will then bind to the basal ganglia and dopamine receptors in the brain. And then that is when you get this autoimmune response in the brain. Um, these, the protein sequences in the, and strep are similar to the protein sequences and the dopamine receptors. And that is why you have these kids that will start with OCD type um, behaviors or thoughts. It might not be behaviors in children, like with children OCD doesn't look like um, adult OCD. And right. so it, it, it might look a little different um, than, cause sometimes children will just like to line up things cause they're learning how to organize. Yeah. Um, and so that's not necessarily like a sign of pandas if your child does that. But it is like something like OCD is one of those things that you commonly see with it.
0: And before you go on on that, I I would say that the OCD associated with pandas is a lot more extreme than a standard OCD. Yeah. Like for me, like the patients that I've had that have had pandas, they're the ones who will wash their hands 40 times a day. They're the ones who will go into the kitchen and have to open every cabinet and then close every cabinet in a certain order before they leave the kitchen. It, it's that it's not so much the, you know, I feel like a lot of people can have a type a, a little bit of OCD to them. You will know the difference. This is not the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and usually with pandas or pans, it happens after an acute illness Um, yeah. and sometimes strep, obviously with pandas, but with pans, it could be a virus. Um, And it could be another bacteria. And, and again, all of this is going to be setting the stage before this is like living in an environment with mold, having a high burden of parasites, all of that. And you'll talk a little bit more about that, but all of that will set the stage for this. Uh, immune dysregulated response to these pathogens. But basically after an illness, you're going to see a regression. So it is going to change like there, or they'll get really agitated. Aggression is con- more common with strep, I would say, right?
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that.
1: Um, and and so you're going to see a, a change in demeanor there. They might get really angry. They might start scratching and you and they've have never done that before. Um, they might, they a lot of times their handwriting will change if they're old enough. So it's actually, I think the diagnosis says, is it three to 13? It might be four. Age, I'm not sure. I would be surprised if you, if you saw a diagnosis before age three or four, but basically around four, it's typically when they, you start seeing it and then up to like 13 or 14. Um, But you can be older too. Um, yeah. Typically those are like the most common ages. And so if you see a regression, if you have an older child and you suspect it, you it's going to, you're going to see a regression in their schoolwork too.
0: Yeah. And I would say of my patient population, uh, maybe average age was about 10, 10, Ten oh, years right. old. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little younger, but I would say, just in, in my personal experience, it doesn't yeah. mean that it can't be any other age, but I would say around like fourth, fifth, sixth grade is where I have had most of my, uh, pandas patients, uh, be.
1: So tell me about the, like, a maybe like a kind of a, a clinical setup for that. Um, as what, in what
0: like, would what would they come in with? Yeah. Uh, number one by far is kind of what I mentioned was that intense OCD where it's like, it's just not normal type of OCD
1: and they went from Um, being not ever having those types of correct.
0: It's like, like things that come out of nowhere, right? That's sudden. And like you said, after some type of infection, it's usually strep bacteria, uh, that, and then it goes into, it's very similar to like Lyme type symptoms, truthfully, because it's, it's motor ticks. It could be sensory ticks. Uh, anxiety, rage out of nowhere is a, a one that I've seen. Um, but I would say that it'd be intense OCD and anxiety is probably the, I'd say the common common denominator, if you will, of um, pandas that I've seen. Um, and it's it's like the kids can't control it. They want to get better. They truly do. But it's like they're they're helpless when it comes to they they don't know how to overcome it. Um, and so it's that type of presentation that I've seen when I start getting out my strep vials and start scanning the body with frequency medicine, and see, is there any strep hiding in the body somewhere that is toxic? Um, and then that's when I'll be like, okay, we're pro, I mean, I can't diagnose someone with pandas, but I can find strep in somebody. And if they're eliciting those symptoms, they can go and do blood testing and do all that stuff. But I'd, I would just, you know, tell the parents, Hey, I'm finding overload of strep their head. They're consistent with these symptoms. Uh, I'm going to treat it the same either way. You know, right. I, I don't need the diagnosis to change my treatment. Um, and so that's, that's been my experience. I, I would say definitely when it comes to treating, uh, pans and pandas doing therapies on top of herbs is very crucial. Yeah. Like you and I talked about neurofeedback, Yeah, you know, things like that. Uh, you and I also talked about homeopathy mm-hmm. when you have a, a deep rooted infection and there's a lot of emotional components to it homeopathy done properly by a classic homeopath can really crack that code like nothing else yeah. and 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 I don't have you know I'm not a homeopathy expert so I'm I can't even throw out certain remedies because I don't use it enough and have enough experience with it I would just refer to a really good homeopath
1: yeah yeah um and there are several online that um I think that you and that's where I would recommend just getting to know the person through their you know, either social media or through, um, their website or calling them and yeah. then seeing where you really feel that peace. Um, and that's where I would sign up with them. Um, mm-hmm. So a couple things that you mentioned strep. Okay. First, I yeah. want to say it doesn't have to be in the throat. So Strap. you might see strep, um, a- around the, the bottom, you might see a red ring around the anus. Um, yeah. and that is something, and this is something where I will, I will see antibiotics given a whole lot, um, is because, and they'll just give them over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. it, and it just wrecks the gut, which is the yeah. further is going to further lead to immune dysregulation, not saying that there's not a time and place there might be. And for an acute situation. Sure. I'm not saying that there isn't, and I'm not saying that you should never give antibiotics, but I am saying when we are giving, especially for chronic Lyme kids and chronic pandas kids, if we're giving years and months of antibiotics, like that's just, it's just going to further the situation. Yeah.
0: It's just going to come out. What you're doing is you're pushing it deeper into the system and it's just going to come out later as more disease and dysfunction in a different form. Yeah. And so it's that that response to our acute illnesses that create chronic disease uh, because it's not going with the laws of the immune system. You know, it's, we're not getting the proper antibodies. Um, our antibiotics are essentially, a lot of them are petroleum-based, but a lot of them are basically fungal mycotoxin-based, you know, like penicillin. You know, it came from a fungus. And so Which, now we're- a factor we're, in that. For sure, and and mold is a huge, is a monster. It, it is it is so uh, debilitating for the immune system that yeah. you can't properly fight off any type of infection if mold is in the system. And it, like, what is mold trying to do? It's trying to survive. So what does it do? It secretes mycotoxins. What does that do? Shuts down your detox pathways, shuts down your mitochondria so you can't produce ATP and energy to heal from anything. And these pathogens are smart. They know that. So they will utilize mycotoxins to their uh, to their offense, essentially. And so given an antibiotic that like a penicillin, amoxicillin, essentially is a mycotoxin in action and it can kill some bacteria, but it can also you know, drive it deeper into the system until it comes out worse down the road.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, just the idea of treating something that could have been triggered by a yeast fungus um, yep. with a drug formed from a yeast fungus. (laughs) It just seems off like what, you know, that just doesn't seem like it would be the right course, but of course, you know, conventional medicine doesn't necessarily think like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, like I said, there's not, there isn't a do not ever give antibiotics, but it is a, you should cautiously approach them, especially if you have a functional medicine or otherwise telling you to be on antibiotics for six months, a year, whatever. Um, because Mm -hmm. it is, it is going to create further dysfunction in the system. Okay, so you did bring up one more thing I wanted to bring up about the diagnosis. So you said, I'm not gonna diagnose somebody with pandas because you can't. Um, but you, but there are ways to diagnose it and you might want to diagnose it, but you also may not like this is going to be, and sometimes people will have this battle with autism too, of whether they need to get it diagnosed or not. Sometimes putting a label to it is helpful for the family. And sometimes it's not, um, sometimes it's helpful for insurance. So say there are some kids who have such an immune dysregulated state that they will do IVIG for pandas. And 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 you know what? I'm not, that, that might be, but if that case, you, you need to get a diagnosis. So insurance might cover it because yeah. otherwise without insurance, it's going to be astronomical.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so there might be a time and place for that or to get certain therapies covered. Um, or I, like we're doing this health share thing now to get that diagnosis. I, my natural providers will be covered as long as it's a new, and it's, as long as it's a new condition. So mm-hmm. say when my children got diagnosed with that now, it would be covered, um, but I would need that diagnosis. So then we would have, be able to get our natural providers covered. Does that make sense? So it might be, it might make sense to get the diagnosis and it might not. Um, There is blood work, the Cunningham panel, um, ASO um, titers. uh, You'll look at antibodies. You'll look at um, different levels in the body. You can look at antibodies to the dopamine receptors. Um, You can do all that. Yes. And that is, that might be a a route that you want to take. But you also need to know that like, no matter what, if you're living in mold and you have this and you have an immune dysregulation or dysfunction or deficiency, probably is a better word, right. um, then you you could still set the stage for it. And it's no matter what, working on foundations is going to be helpful.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I kind of piggybacking off what you said is a lot of patients in my past have said, hey, should I go get this test? to to you know get the diagnosis and i say you can do what you want obviously in what you just said about you know getting insurance to pay that that is a whole different concept of getting a diagnosis but if someone's working with me i don't really care what the diagnosis is the reason being is because i'm still going to treat whatever shows on the testing from a root cause perspective so like they can go and get all these uh different blood tests and they can be diagnosed with pandas but it's not going to change the way that i'm treating the human body in front of me i'm I'm still going to check for mold i'm still going to check for parasites i'm still going to check for strep i'm still going to check for all that and i'm going to do what the body says so for like the way that i was taught was more of root cause since day one and so i've never really put too much into spending more money for diagnoses unless to your point you need it for some type of therapy that's super beneficial that, you know, they need an ICD 11 or whatever ICD we're on these days. ICD I don't 10. even know. I assume ICD it's the
1: ICD 10. ICD-10. I haven't practiced in a year. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that it it just really depends on the dynamic of the family and where yeah. the functioning of the of the patient. And I do think some therapies are, but a lot of therapies aren't going to be covered by insurance. So like neurofeedback um, yeah. isn't going to be covered by insurance. I'm going to talk about, other therapies too that it's not they're probably not going to be covered by insurance either way so that may not make sense for you but like sure. i said if you go and you want to do the ivig route then i would i would think about it cuz you insurance i mean it was more it's definitely more likely to cover it in that case
0: yep so let's talk about let's get into what we do for um for pans and pandas what are some of your favorite things to try or check and uh we'll take it from there
1: yeah so i I go at it from a multiple pronged approach because a lot of times with these kids, it's really hard to get the supplements in them or the Mm -hmm. drugs or whatever you're using. Like it's, it's hard because they are, they have started restrictive eating. Um, they are not getting the nutrients they need. Um, they are, they have very sensitive sensory things. And so it is harder. So I start with whatever I can do to cool down inflammation that might help um, with um, getting the supplements in them. And then also at the same time, if you can find like a glycerin or or glycerin tincture or any type of um, tincture or powder or topical to start in on them um, to get supplements in them, or of course taking a capsule. So like my kids, I finally, you know, but earlier this year, got both of them. The other, my oldest was already doing it. Taking capsules, and so that way I can put nasty tasting things in a capsule, and they <laughs> yeah. won't notice. Like sodium butyrate tastes awful. Oh, oh my god, I've tried to Tudka. hide it so many
0: times, I can't find find a way to hide it.
1: Chedka is awful, awful. Yeah. Um, and um, and I give just a little bit, but still, it tastes awful. Like yeah, I, I feel very strong though, and very I was like, I can't flavor. do it. So, um, getting putting them to put that in a capsule, getting small capsules. If there is one tip I have, and they're probably not the best, like ingredient they get the vegetable or gelatin capsules from amazon you can start with teeny tiny ones that are the size of a tic-tac Um uh, yeah. and they're hard to fill but man it really helps um and then also starting with like little chocolate chips and candies it really helps to get your kids um to be able to swallow capsules in this type of situation because they're going to be probably needing multiple different things
0: yeah um, so- okay
1: so yeah so we were talking okay so cooling inflammation and then herbs to kill the pathogen Yep.
0: Yeah. So it depends uh, on what
1: the pathogen is, right? I mean, because it could be something related to strep, but it could be a virus, right?
0: Correct. Correct. And and so f- just for simplicity of this um, podcast, I will, I'm going to talk about the ones that I have found that are very specific to pandas and strep. But the cool part is the Supreme Herbs that we talk about are broad spectrum. They do bacteria. They do viruses. They do parasites. They do fungus. And so, if I had to choose one herb for pandas, it's also my go-to for Lyme, and that is cat's claw. Mm-hmm. I love cat. Whenever I think of deep-rooted infection, whether it's a deep fungal infection, it's parasites. Epstein Barr is a big one uh, as well, and then pandas—that strep that turns into pandas—because it has that autoimmune flare to it. Uh, I will definitely check cat's claw first and foremost. Um, I will say that another, the next herb, which also happens to be my number two with lime, generally uh, because of how good it is at turning down autoimmune is Japanese knotweed. Uh, so cat's claw and Japanese knotweed, you just talked about anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Cat's claw is severely anti-inflammatory. It's why they use it for very big arthritis cases. They use it for heart inflammation, but then knotweed is high in resveratrol, which is one of the most potent anti-inflammatories on the market. You always hear about turmeric and resveratrol for autoimmune. Well, Japanese knotweed is the best form of resveratrol. And and a lot of people be like, huh, I've heard that name before. That's because they tried to tell you to drink wine because wine has grape skins and grapes have resveratrol. It's good for your heart. Um, Japanese knotweed is much healthier for you than wine. And so those are probably my top two. If I had to add a a couple more just for, you know, people might be having other remedies at home that have listened to us before, um, Malia Supreme. So Neem, I would, I would say, if you look at the research online, they're always going to plug Neem and Berberine for, for, um, pandas and strep Berberine is golden thread. Neem is Malia. You've heard us talk about it a ton. Um, I prefer Malia um, golden thread. They're both very strong golden thread. I use more when there's blood sugar dysregulation. I tend to go more towards Neem first. If you go the other way, you are not wrong. It is just my personal preference.
1: So, um, so yeah, go ahead. We never talked about it earlier. Um, Malia is so great for parasites and for yeast. Um, oh yeah. So why would that be helpful? You were talking about. I want to explain that a little bit
0: because you yeah, said yeah. point. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm
0: gonna get to that. So, so um, cat's claw, knotweed, and malia. Just to do a little recap, and then one also that a lot of people don't really think about for strep that I find tests is wormwood, Artemisia supreme, and and I'll get to why I find that. I think because of what Lauren was just alluding to, um, and that is because similar to lime. The people who have the most TH2 promoting substances in them, which if you, if you're not familiar with TH2 and TH1, we've talked about it in many podcasts prior. Uh, We talked about it in our allergy podcast. We talked about it in our parasite podcast. Basically, uh, just a, a little summary. You, whenever you're fighting off bacteria, fungus, or viruses, you want a good TH1 response. TH2 is what fights off parasites. So a lot of things a lot of um, uh, environmental toxins actually promote a TH2 dominant state, which means we live in too much TH2 with not enough TH1 immune response. So the things that do that, parasites, mold, EMF, mental stress, estrogen, those are probably the and pesticides. those are the top. Um, and so what Malia will do is go after yeast, parasites. Artemisia goes after parasites. Um, and so what that does is it helps increase that th one response, uh, which then helps you fight off bacteria like Lyme, like pandas, uh, which is obviously with strep. Um, and then a couple other ones that I want to talk about is another great th one promoter is astragalus astragalus supreme. And it's just an, a a general, Kidney tonic in Chinese medicine. It really strengthens your immune system, and the reason why it does that is because it promotes that TH one, which then helps strengthen you against viruses, bacteria, and fungus. Which is obviously the name of the game. Wow. Now, um, there are two liquids for you know. Lauren just made a great point. All the ones I've talked about thus far are capsules, and yeah. so it can be very tough.
1: But they're not. I mean, I I would put them in applesauce. I would try. Yeah. Something. I would try, you know. It, but Malia, Malia is
0: very, very bitter.
1: See, I didn't have a problem getting that in Sarah when she was Glad
0: because that that's a that's a tough one. That's why but my I usually kids maybe over to... are just so
1: used to me saying like you have to <laughs> take it, like you have no choice.
0: For sure, um, <laughs> I'm, Artemis, I'm kind of like yeah. a
1: hardcore with that. Like, sorry guys, like this is it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They have no other choice, so there's, they don't know anything different. <laughs> if
1: you want to do the next activity, this is where this is where right. it, This is where it starts. So, um, so
0: if your children are not like that, <laughs> um, then the two tinctures that I will u- uh, try to utilize is first one is Scutellaria Supreme. The reason why is because Scutellaria is a potent uh, also TH one promoter. It goes after Epstein Barr and it's anti mold, and it helps heal the gut. It helps heal the blood brain barrier. Yes. And it helps move your lymph. It is a greater, and it it's an anti-anxiety. It, huh? it does. that. That's, I said it, it's also anti-anxiety, which yeah. can go with PANS and PANDAS. But it does, the reason why it heals the gut and it heals the blood-brain barrier is because of the bicalin in it, which increases your glutathione.
1: Yeah. And so much of it is a glutathione depletion that's yep. probably in the background before all of this. Yes, um, And because, you know, kids are giving Tylenol out the wazoo, they're giving their vaccines and all, it's like this like whole setup. And guys, I was the conventional mom before this. Let's, rem- let's, let's remember this. And so <laughs> I'm not saying, but this is just the picture that we're painting. Um, yep. The foods that are depleting your antioxidants in your body, the the cardboard, basically that. Is in uh, is a lot of processed foods, um, and so it's just something to to consider. Is these are things that you can do if you want to prevent a situation like this from ever happening, which you may not be able to do, but you can still control the controllables and look look at diet, look at things that deplete glutathione.
0: Yeah, and and glutathione is the promoter of TH one. Yeah. So the what promotes TH one is glutathione and melatonin. Yeah. And so what promotes TH two from that chemical standpoint is estrogen and cortisol. And so that's why when we're saying, you know, that, um, scutellaria helps TH1, it's because it produces glutathione and a good glutathione production is what helps a healthy TH1 response. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's why I like adrenal stress and like a really like stressful event can sometimes trigger a flare for some of these kids. Um, yes. And so that's, and we can talk about that in a minute, but okay. So keep going on what you were saying. Is that where you. Yeah, had- so
0: that's the first tincture. The next one is not out yet. It comes out hopefully Tuesday. I talked to Supreme. It's called Usnea, U S N E A. And it is an antimicrobial, but it's very, very, very anti-strep. Awesome. And so that's a good one to have on hand, especially with the strep going around. And then if it ever turns into pandas and it's a tincture, so it will taste them. good and you can, uh, utilize it, uh, orally with your children.
1: And then the others, the other tincture they're coming out with is. is
0: Acerola. A, Acerola. Yep. A good source of vitamin C because yeah. we love, I love Camu, but again, a liquid's so much easier for children oh, and yeah. for other people too. It doesn't have to, some people don't do great with pills, obviously. and, that's um, awesome. and so that will be a very good source of, uh, natural potent vitamin C.
1: I love it. I I cannot wait to try that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so that's what, that's the herbs that I wrote down again. If I had to choose one of any, I would do cat's claw. Um, that's, that's what I've seen clinically. That's what I'm sticking to, but we already talked about a little bit about other things that you should do on top of herbs is, um, we talked about homeopathy already. And then neurofeedback, because neurofeedback helps with the anxiety and stress, helps with the brain inflammation. And one more thing in the moment, if you're having an OCD or an anxiety, panic attack, rage, tapping, EFT tapping can go, can be um, really, really powerful. Um, what do you think about tapping?
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it with shoulder. Head. I love it. I, re- I have sent the video that the reel that your wife made with. Um, you're with Kessa to yep. so many people just as like people that are not even necessarily holistic or whatever. If they're having a child that is anxious, I will send them and like do this sequence with them and yep. the morning before school or in the moment when they're anxious and it helps so much. It um, does. And so how tapping with kids is, is really great. Um, I,
0: hey, I, I, have, I have a story real quick before you move yeah. on. So um just, you know, Having conscious parenting and teaching kids at a young age about things like tapping, they're they're sponges. They 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 take it all in. And so last night before bedtime, um, she w- Kessa was taking a bath, and she didn't want to get out of the bath. And I kept telling i I kept saying to her, I said, "You're you're acting up because you're overtired." And she comes back to me and goes, "No, you're acting up because you're overtired. I think you need to tap because you're angry." <laughs> She said to me, me "She's three and a half years old, but like the, the point is, um, you know, at three and a half years old, she, that's where her mind goes already to tapping. And so as she's aging, I think it's going to be so beneficial to have those tools that I wish I had when I was that young.
1: Me too. Oh my goodness. Me too. And I, I didn't even know that I had anxiety. I wasn't class. I wasn't like this anxious kid or anxious, a teenager, but I look back and I see so much anxiety mm-hmm. um, that was under the surface. And there is so much that if you could just bring it out and tap it and like tap it out, talk it out, whatever, that these things can be massive tools for our older kids, younger kids and adults. Absolutely. Um, okay. Other things that can be helpful. So primitive reflexes are mm. something that um, should be integrated. And i talked about this in our ADHD podcast these things should integrate in the first year of life and a lot of times they're not and it's not because of trauma or deficiencies or different factors will cause them not to integrate. Um, and, or they can lose it. I mean, you can lose it because of these traumas and things that occur throughout our life. And so doing these exercises, um, like we'll, we'll, do peanut rocking, which is where they like basically rock back and forth, um, in a ball, um, cat, cow, and downward dog, you know, those are, um, I'm not an expert in this. I'm, I am a nurse practitioner. I'm not an OT. Um, but I have taken several courses on primitive reflexes. And this is a very calming thing, um, that it, it stimulates that parasympathetic nervous system. And it is very good in the moment, as well as, um, I will do CFT. If you can get your children into to do CFT, I do it on my own children. Cause I've, I've done the class and you can too, if you are someone at home that wants that has multiple children that really would benefit from this, please look into those trainings. They are very beneficial. Um, and then, um, So we have CFT and then the last thing is an SRT optimizer, which I am newer to using. Dr. Charlie has been using for many years. Um, And I tell you what, I am blown away by the grounding, just the overall change in demeanor and, and just everything that when I put that over their heart or my heart, even if I'm anxious, um, it can be very helpful. So what I'll do when I'm, we're having a a flare or like a moment of where there's just like, we need to take it down a notch is, I sit them down, put the SRT optimizer over their heart and I'll start doing body work. And then after like five, 10 minutes, we'll get down and start doing primitive reflex exercises. The next thing I go to are flower essences and cell salts. And so those are something else you can keep in hand, um, for those flare moments when you are like, I, my child is, is, is like, it's getting, ag- they're getting aggressive or they're getting anxious and, and they won't go to school or they won't do their schoolwork or whatever it is. Um, and it, and it's not that they're not wanting to do their schoolwork cuz they're trying to be defiant um and maybe there is some there of that there too but like no it's it's your, their brains on fire um yeah. and it, and they're having this just visceral reaction to it and so we got to cool that stuff down first and then go um you know go at it a different way but um bach uh stress relief flower essences. I'll link it in the uh, show notes. And then I use caliphoss cell salt. It's the cell salt that is for the nerves. And basically it's like a little tablet that is a dissolvable any kid, child, adult. It, it doesn't taste bad. Um, and they just let it dissolve under their tongue,
0: yeah. I feel like um flower essence is very, very powerful, like oh, yeah. like like homeopathy in its own right, where it's like, Um, it'll get into like the energetic frequency of stress, which is, is totally different than herbal remedies and things like that. Um, cell salts, another one, very, very, very powerful. Um,
1: and then mentioning one more thing, this is more of a daily thing. Um, cooling down the inflammation. I think I kind of alluded to it earlier. We mentioned (laughs) it with resveratrol, um, as an anti-inflammatory guys, if your kids had a flare and you are you are not sure what's going on. Maybe you haven't gotten a diagnosis yet. Maybe you're just suspecting these things and your kid is just, it tur- they turn into a different child and you are so stressed. Something to think about, which you're, this is not going to be a common thing you're going to hear in the holistic community is a dose of dye-free ibuprofen to, as a challenge to see if that changes, if it takes them out of that flare, out of that episode. I don't say to stay on ibuprofen and I, I would never necessarily like recommend that Generally, for most people, but I do think that it's
0: kind of like a diagnostic. Test it's a diagnostic
1: a tool. There. It's a strong yeah. anti-inflammatory. To see, yeah. okay, what happens when we give this? Do they come back out? Do do they emerge from this um from the forest of these of uh, of this of these symptoms? And so, um, trying a dose of dye free, dye free, please do dye free. Um, because if you give dyes, and that might make it worse. Um That's right. Dye free on
0: I'm glad you brought that up because that goes right into my my next. And the last point that I wanted to mention, um, you already talked about SRT, which I obviously have been, I've oh, had yeah. more problems with that in clinical practice than anything else I've ever done. Um, but two is if ibuprofen or NSAIDs, if they help whatever you have going on, whether it's the flare, whether it's headaches, whatever you're taking it for, that means two things that means that your diet is not truly on point for your body because it works on the same pathway that food inflammation works on. And that same pathway is the inflammation is turned down through fish oil. And so the cool part uh, about that is uh, what I was going to say was getting your methylation working properly is a big deal when it comes to detox, obviously for you, you need methylation to work for you to produce glutathione and that's TH1. And so we did a whole thing on methylation. You can go back and listen to that video, but a part of methylation is our vitamin D receptors and vitamin D regulates something called the T regulatory cells, which is what balances that TH1 and TH2, but vitamin D also needs vitamin a to be absorbed and cod liver oil which is vitamin d and a fulfill that that vitamin d receptor but it also if your child is helped by that dye free ibuprofen cod liver oil is also going to help that pathway too so cod liver oil with the higher dha content over the epa which is more brain neurological is also a really good thing to have children on especially with pandas
1: Gosh, yeah. And it's so supportive of the immune system, those fatty, uh, those fatty vitamins that like, that's something that mm-hmm. it's in my immune support post for a reason. Like that yep. is a, a daily thing or not, you, you could do it a few times a week. Um, but, or more of a regular thing. It's not just like an in the moment thing with illness, which you can do, like it can act pretty potently in the moment, yep. um, but also more of a regular occurrence. Um, Absolutely. Other things I want to mention is guys this isn't like a like you get diagnosed and you get cured and there's like it goes away and it never comes back. Um it's a
0: journey. It's, yeah, a, it's journey. a journey
1: and it's hard and you need to take care of yourself. Um and you need to do the you know therapies and go or walking outside or grounding and healing yourself too. Um because it is hard. There are triggers that will keep happening. Like loose teeth is a, is a trigger. Um you know any if you get if they go to a birthday party and they usually I try to control for that. Um, but like if they're go to a birthday party and they have a bunch of stuff they shouldn't have, uh, or that will like, like dies and a bunch of, you know, conventional you know, lot just, it, it can just trigger all that. Um, but losing teeth, stress, um, obviously getting exposed to, um, mold again, um, yeah. that can be a, another trigger. And so things to think about. Oh, the swimming pool can be a trigger. Um, things to think about and to consider, like if your child is starting to have a flare after you do these things, then maybe there's, maybe there's something to think about there. Um, okay. So cooling down the inflammation, reworking neural pathways, obviously killing the pathogen, finding the pathogen. Sometimes you need to do obviously the testing to find the pathogen that's causing it. Maybe it's the mold. Maybe it's the Maybe it's um, a parasite setting the stage. Maybe it is strep um, or another bacteria or virus. And so, yep. I th- did we cover it all?
0: I don't. Yeah. I don't have anything else written down, any bullet points. I think we did a good job.
1: Awesome. I think we can, I think at least some starting steps to like really go after this and feel yep. like you're going into a doctor's appointment, being able to say something with um, confidence, which a lot of the times, if you can do that, that helps so much. Oh, um, yeah just to be confident in what you're saying and what your child is exhibiting. Because unfortunately, a lot of doctors still dismiss this. And um, there are a lot of conventional doctors that are aware and they are like, they are open to it, but there are so many that are not. And there are so many that say they are, but then when you get down into it and you're doing the treatment, they're not really open to it. And so really know that, you are your parents, you're your child's parent. Like you are there for a reason. Stand strong for them, advocate for them, keep a journal of their symptoms and like of the dates and times of what happened before and after so that you can show with evidence, these are the things that I'm seeing in my child. Um, and so that way that that can give you that confidence to really bring up these things with them.
0: I think we should leave it off on that. But awesome. Unless well, you need to uh oh, say your This is thing.
1: not medical advice. This is meant to be educational. Please speak with your healthcare provider before changing anything.
0: Perfect. Thank you all for tuning in and we will see y'all on the next one.